You're listening to All the King's Men. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the King's Men. This offseason has already seen plenty of changes to the Kings, both on and off the ice, and there are still plenty of changes coming. One of the biggest changes was the naming of John Stevens as new head coach of the LA Kings, and Coach Stevens was kind enough to sit down and talk to me today for the podcast. We will continue bringing you podcasts throughout the summer as the expansion draft, entry draft, and free agency news breaks, so make sure you're subscribed. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. But now, here's Coach Stevens. Joining me now, head coach of the Los Angeles Kings, John Stevens. Thanks very much for joining me, John. You're welcome. Uh, I want to talk first about your time in Philadelphia, and not the Flyers, but the Phantoms. Um, you were a player for them. You won the Calder Cup. You were their first captain, and if I'm not mistaken, scored their first goal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, uh, from your perspective, how long it takes to build a quote-unquote culture of a team, given that you were there from the ground floor, moved on, and ultimately you know, became uh, head coach of the Phantoms. What do you think the most important thing goes into that? Well, it was a little different in Philadelphia because uh, at the American League level, they were just moving a team. A team had been in Hershey for a number of years. Uh, and they got a, uh, The Spectrum was vacated because they built a new building uh, in Philadelphia, which has changed names a number of times at the, the Wachovia Center, Wells Fargo Center. But the Spectrum was there and it would be vacant, so it made sense to put a team there. So... The one thing I do remember, though, there, there was a very strong identity to that team right away. And what they had done was uh, Bob Clark was the general manager. Uh, Bill Barber uh, was the coach. Uh, Mike Stuthers was the assistant coach. Uh, Gene Hard, who had retired from doing games on the radio, they had brought him to do games that we did on TV. And you're in the old spectrum. And I think the one thing they really focused on was getting a veteran team there. And we had a team with a lot of toughness. And... Uh, you know, I was a, an older player that had come in there as well, and, and I think because they were a new team in that city, they wanted to establish a really good fan base right away because we were across the parking lot. But uh, the thing that I that is clear to me was just the fact that from day one we had an identity. We knew exactly how we were going to play. We knew what kind of team we were going to be, and they were smart in Philadelphia knowing that the fans there would embrace that kind of team because there were so many parallels to the past. And uh, I was fortunate to be the part of that as, as both a player and a coach. I, I, I won 98 as a player, and we won in 05 as a coach uh, in that city, in that environment. And uh, both teams had very similar identities. I think it's easy for fans to have an identity pitched to them by a, an organization. How much communication goes on within an organization to communicate that, you know, you mentioned a, an identity of toughness. Is it as simple as you know following a leader or having a strong voice in the locker room that that galvanizes the players, or is there a a, a more complex uh, selling of of that identity? Well, it's it's a good question, and it's I think it's a lot more complex than that. I think it starts at the top, uh, and it extends through your staff, and it's certainly through your leadership group. But you know, I think we all come together, and we have a, a vision and and uh, a real passion and desire on the way we want to play. Uh, how we need to play uh, to be successful and ultimately win. And uh, I think teams that are good teams, when you watch them play, that identity speaks pretty clear to you. And the teams we've had here that have won, I mean, they're they're big, heavy, strong defensive teams that 
can physically punish your opponent uh, up and down their lineup. And, you know, I think that identity is really gives you something to grab onto. It's almost like an anchor. Uh, it gives a real good vision uh, to your team of, of what you want to be and how you want to play. Uh, and it helps everybody establish that focus on a common goal. And I, to me, those are the things that help uh, form an identity for a hockey team. And uh, we certainly had that here. We had that there in Philadelphia when I was there. You've been described as a player's coach. Um, is that as a result of having been a player yourself, or is that a specific philosophy that you've adopted? Uh, I don't know. Those are other people describing me, so I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I think the fact that I played the game, uh, I think I was very intense, detail-oriented guy when I played the game. I was captain on most of the teams I played on. And, uh, you know, I think it was a very selfless player. I think because of that, I give a lot of respect to the players. I understand what they go through. Uh, but I've tried... You know, I've tried as a coach to have a, to be a very good communicator on what's expected, uh, hold players accountable, and give a very honest message. And I think as a player, having played, that's that's what you enjoy. You know, we don't we don't play head games. We tell the message whether it's something the player wants to hear or not, but it's honest. Uh, but I think in today's game, what's probably changed the most is just the communication with coaches today uh, and their players. And I think. Because I played and I, I, I coached very shortly after finishing playing, um, that the communication part of it was something I always thought was important, and that may where come from that description come from as well. Let's talk about that transition from player to coach. You suffered an eye injury. Um, Philadelphia transitioned you into an assistant coach with the Phantoms. Was that your first inclination that coaching might be a, a career future for you? Uh, well, that was certainly a big step. Um, it really started in, a, in Hartford. Uh, I'd played in Hartford, and I was becoming an older player, minor league player that had played a long time, been up and down with the NHL and the minor leagues, and won a few times in the minors, and really started to get in a position where I was trying to bring along some of the younger players. I was more counted on for stability and maybe a depth guy to be called up back then and then make sure I had a young partner that could bring him along and help accelerate his learning curve. So they started there. Paul Homer was part of that. Uh, Tom Rowe was part of that when they were there. Then when I went to Philadelphia, with Holmgren came back there as well, and uh, Bill Barber and Bob Clark, um, they started to offer me the opportunity to go to coaches' clinics in the summertime. Even though I was still playing, they wanted me to get involved with that. And I knew that I wasn't going to play forever, and it's something I enjoyed. I enjoyed the time at the rink. I enjoyed working with young players, even though I was at a player at that point. And uh, when we won in 98, uh, I can remember talking to Bob Clark in the locker room after we had just won. And he asked me that he'd like me to go to a coach's clinic. So he clearly was a, was a big uh, factor in me getting into this business, along with uh, with Paul Homer as well. Were there any older players that mentored you that you think pushed you towards that? And conversely, were there any younger players that you mentored, uh, as you said, younger uh, D pair that you that you feel sort of proud of? Or <clears throat> yeah, all of it. I'll be honest with you. I mean, my first partner in pro hockey was Kevin McCarthy who's assistant coach in Nashville now and had a tremendous amount of success as a coach and you know, he was an older guy that played in the NHL for a long time I was a young kid just trying to get established in the American League and you know he was really hard on me as, as a partner but he was really trying to help me and I understood that so for sure there were guys like that Mike Stuthers was another guy Mike was a veteran guy uh, on the, my team in Hershey when I was a young player so there's lots of guys on those teams back then I think the league was older I think there were more older players playing the American League and certainly respected all of them for uh, what they were, were still doing to be good players, but also what they were doing to help me as a young player. 
it wasn't that far after, you know, maybe three, four years in the league that I started to get teamed up with a young defenseman, young partner. And uh, probably if I could look back at playing, the one thing I wanted to be was a good teammate. And I really tried to look out for those guys. I really tried to make sure that they had good habits on and off the ice and that uh, they had good preparation habits of being players. And there's lots of them. You know, I played with Andy Delmore the year we won in 98. Was young defense and made it to the National Hockey League. And he's actually in coaching now. Still talk to him. But, you know, pretty much all those uh, young players that I played with, uh, I took great pride in trying to make them better and setting a good example for them. And that transition into coaching has not changed my mindset. I, I have the same mindset trying to help those players as I did when I was playing. There's obviously multiple different philosophies towards coaching and leadership in, in all forms of management. One is uh, known as the team of rivals, where you surround yourself with as many talented, competent people. Then there's, you know, obviously the fear of having too many cooks. You mentioned that you were a captain on most of the teams you played for. The Kings loaded with players who have been captains at different stages of their career. Um, do you lean more towards fearing too many cooks in the kitchen or wanting a team of rivals, wanting as many competent uh, people? You know, I think my philosophy as a coach really hasn't changed that much. I think I've learned to become a better coach and appreciate the details and what's important to winning. But you know, I do want a lot of competent people around me. I do want ownership taking from the people inside the locker room. Uh, by no means am I a dictator. That's you know, just tell them this is the message and, and not want to listen to people around me. I want good people around me. I want good coaches around me. I want everyone to have responsibility. But the big thing for me is that you know, you sell the message that the team is the most important thing, uh, that you create this vision and awareness where everyone takes ownership for that goal and it comes in all kinds of forms and everybody's important to re achieving that goal. And, and uh, the, the more people involved with that process, for me, the better. You mentioned that you've learned in your role as a head coach. What do you think the largest lesson you've learned since the, pr the last time you served as a head coach has been? Um, you know, I don't know if there's any one lesson. I think, you know, my, I really enjoyed my time in Philadelphia. We went from a team that it wasn't a very good team to becoming a team that uh, had some good runs in there and, and, and were a playoff team and, and ran into a tough Pittsburgh opponent there. Uh, I just think through my time in the league working with guys like uh, Terry Murray, uh, Daryl Sutter, uh, my philosophy hasn't really changed, but I think my appreciation for the detail uh, and how important it is all the time uh, for players. Uh, I think my appreciation for uh, preparation, I think as a player, I took preparation upon myself. I think with the coaches I've worked with here, I've learned that players sometimes need help with that preparation. Um, and probably the, the biggest thing for me, and I always knew it was important, but I think I appreciate it more, is just how much difference the emotional part of the game can make in the outcome of the game. And I think I always understood that, but certainly with my time here, having been with this group and having won with this group, I have a greater appreciation for it now than I ever did. You mentioned the emotional aspect of the game. There's a ton of focus these days on analytics and on you know parsing out every tiny detail, and people have scouting staffs and analytics teams. I'm curious, um, this is sort of a, a more philosophical question, do you think you can delegate emotion can you designate someone in the locker room as an emotional leader? I mean, we've heard of guys like Matt Green and Jared Stoll playing that role, but is that something you can assign? Uh, I don't know so much if you assign it, but I, I definitely think there's people in your locker room that can bring it. Uh, but I also believe people like 
Matt Green, Jared Stoll, um, you know, and now with Kopey and Jeff and guys that we expect to be leaders, Drew, um, Brownie, you know, we expect that emotion uh, to bring the team together. And I think when a team really has a bond, that emotion comes out. Uh, when, you, when you when you spend a lot of time together, when you really care about each other, uh, you're not waiting on the ice and reacting to situations. It, it becomes instinctive because the emotion is there. And I think that emotion established from relationship with the players on your team. And I think the guys you're talking about go a long way to building those relationships with your team. We started out talking about culture and, and how to build a culture. The, the LA Kings, obviously, over the last 10 years have undergone a, a culture shift. You know, they became Stanley Cup champions. A lot of that seemed to be sort of infused from the Flyers organization. Obviously, yourself, Lombardi, Hextall, there were tons of, of connections there. At this point, how different is the current LA Kings culture uh, from where it was at the beginning of this process? And do you think it will, or do you think it hasn't changed and will continue to be maintained? Well, that's a, that's a tough and long question. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the thing, and we were called Flyers West when I came here, and mm-hmm. you know, Justin Wayne was here, Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, you went on, Simone Guy ended up here. But, you know, the one thing I do know is that the people they brought here, coming from the Flyers organization, that's the one thing about there is that they're all about the team. It was clearly the most important thing and about being a good teammate and winning. And uh, because of that, they've always had a strong identity in Philadelphia. And I think when the guys you mentioned came here, when Dean came here, when Hexie came here, you know, there's a lot of good pieces here. But they wanted to create, you call it a culture, and I think a culture helps develop an identity and an identity helps develop a culture, uh, it happened. And they, they, they had a team here that had a very strong identity uh, that was all about the team that was hard to play against, but just the way they formed that identity. So if you watch the LA Kings play, you, you understood what they were about. And uh, the part that's changed with that is obviously that with our game and especially with the cap area, people come and people go. So with these, maybe some of the older veteran players that came in here, whether it was from Philadelphia or elsewhere, that really helped establish that culture, a lot of those players have moved on, but there's players here that were a huge part of that process, and there's players here that are now asked to take on that responsibility that's been vacated by those players moving on. And to me, that's the big change that I see. Drew Doughty's not a young player anymore. Drew Doughty's a, a great young player that's expected to be a leader on our hockey team. Same with Kopitar. If you look at Muzzin, Martinez, Toffoli, Pearson, they're all just kids coming into that process, early on in that process, and they're very fortunate uh, to be a part of such a, a great thing and winning, but now we're asking them to take those experiences and take the responsibility and ownership for that, not just as good players, but as leaders in our hockey team to continue that culture down the road. So I think the culture itself and the idea of winning is the same, but I think the pieces have, have clearly moved around and uh, we're asking more of a lot of people that have been through that process in different roles. You mentioned the salary cap era and, and roster changes. The Ontario Reign have been a tremendous asset to the Kings, and there seems to be a clear pattern of developing players and bringing them up and having them slot straight into the lineup. How beneficial is your previous relationship with Coach Stuthers in that process? I think it's tremendous for all of us. I mean, there's a clear understanding. We see the game a lot the same way and a lot of the values. Uh, and you can include our development staff with that. There's a lot of transparency in what we do here uh, for the end goal of winning. And we all see 
what's important to winning. We all work on it together. Uh, there's a lot of interaction, what goes on, whether it's with a new draft pick development, uh, with our development staff, our minor league players, and certainly with our players that are here and players that make the transition to become members of our hockey team. So I think it's been a, tr a tremendous advantage. The big change uh, I see in the game was when I was a minor league player, a lot of your depth guys in your hockey team are older players. And I think in today's game, you're seeing a lot of your depth guys in your hockey team are the young players that are very close to making the step. And we've certainly seen that here when you know King and Nolan came up and then Pearson and Toffoli and then Muzzin and Martinez. You go down the line. Now last year, we had guys like Forbert, Dowd, Gravel, Ledoux, Brodzinski, Kempe coming into the fold. So uh, it, it's a critical now uh, in the process for depth and trying to maintaining uh, uh, consistency and winning. Uh, but certainly having Mike in the relationship we have in place here uh, and the job. Mike's a very passionate, terrific coach, and uh, I think we're all fortunate to, to have him on our side developing our players. There's been a lot of talk about the league changing, speed being more of a premium, youth being more of a premium. Um, the, the fact that the four teams left in the conference finals all seem to have that you know, going for them, does that influence your philosophy? Do you view that as just a, an outlier well, it just depends. I mean, you, it depends how you interpret what's going on. I mean, uh, Matt Cullen and uh, <laughs> fair point. Forty years old. Yeah. If you look at the team in Pittsburgh, we do believe that your centermen are very important players in your hockey team. They got Malkin, Crosby, Benino, and Cullen down the middle, and they've had great goaltending. But you know, the game is faster. Um, the speed of the game is faster. But if you look at what's going on in the playoffs, the teams that have checked the best and defended the best are the teams that are having the most success. I mean, who would have thought Ottawa uh, was going to be pushing as hard as they have, especially against Pittsburgh, the way they started out in the playoffs. And uh, the other thing you're seeing is there's a lot of physicality in the playoffs. Even a team like Nashville, I think surprise teams, just how physical they can play, how hard they can play, uh, how astute they are without the puck, and they still play a speed game. So I think the game is changing. I think the mobility of a defense in general is changing where you're seeing a lot more of the defense involved in all three zones. Uh, but I think your key issues, you want to score goals in hockey, you got to go to the net. And if you want to win hockey games, you got to have your team committed uh, to checking and, and keeping the puck out of your net. And now you're seeing blocking shots and finishing checks and guys paying a big price. And probably the last thing that's paramount is the goaltending's been terrific. And I think as far back as you want to go in hockey that I can remember, uh, you always talk about great teams having great goalies, and uh, I think in the playoffs, every team's had great goaltending. After the 2005 lockout, there were a number of rules changes. Um, it's now been 12 years, I guess, since that lockout. There's a whole generation of players that have come up under these new rules, but there's still the bulk of the of the hockey industry that developed under the old set of rules. How how has that challenged you as a coach to adapt to uh to the rule changes. Well, there's some, been some significant changes, and uh, I think when the when the lockout ended, um, there's a few things that I think uh, crept up and surprised us that maybe weren't talked about a lot that happened. And you know, we were playing in the American League that year when all this conversation was going on, and you know, the the goal line prior to the lockout was at 13 feet, and everyone thought because there was more room below the goal line, the Gretzky day there would be more offense created for it. It was actually the opposite because the goal line got further away from the end boards. When the puck missed the net, it was hard to get it back to the net. So one of the first things they did was move the net or the goal line back to 11 feet. Ter terrific. Uh, there, there was way more scoring chances, more offense created from it 
What we didn't know was going to happen was the blue lines moved four feet. So the goal line went two feet towards the boards, but the goal the blue line went two feet towards the center ice line. So it really expanded the room in the offensive zone and shrunk the neutral zone. Uh, so to me, that was a huge change. Uh, one, you had to figure out ways to get through the neutral zone with speed, with quick decisions, because you had less space to operate in. Uh, and you had to figure out ways to both defend and then take advantage of the extra room in the offensive zone. And the big change that, that that's really had an effect on the game and has been moving face-offs. You, know, you used to have face-offs where wherever the puck, if it deflected out of play, it wouldn't even have to be at a dot. Uh, moving the face-off to a dot, number one, and then moving the face-off deep in the zone on a power play. Prior to lockout, you had anywhere from three to five teams that were 20% or better on the power play. Post Laco in that rule change, you get anywhere from ten to fourteen teams, and that's that's a huge difference. So that's really forced us to look at the faceoff uh, as a place to get started offensively. Uh, a lot of importance on that part of the game uh, because you're starting in the zone all the time. And if you want more scoring in the game, it was a terrific change. Um, so you've seen that, but the, probably the the one area that come out of the Laco too that maybe wasn't talked about a lot, but certainly has been a huge focal point has been just the way they enforce the rules. You can't impede the motion of players anymore. You can't run picks for for your partner going back for the puck. And I think that has some uh, impact both offensively and defensively, but they're big changes in the game. And what we've seen from those changes is it's forced us to be better at what we do. Uh, you can't be lazy. You have to do the work. You have to skate to take ice. You can't use your stick to get equal. Uh, I think initially it was thought to create more offense, but I think it's really forced us to become more proficient at defense uh, and do the work and can't have any lazy players. Uh, but I think just like anything else, when those changes are made, we, we adapt. Uh, we try and figure out ways to take advantage of it uh, and figure out ways to continue to, to be a winning hockey team. And then lastly, would probably be the little overtime change with the three-on-three. -three. Uh, I think it's a terrific ad. I think uh, players and fans alike like to see a game finished through playing the game. Even though a shootout I think was exciting for a while, I think at least I know I'd rather see a game end, even if it's three-on-three, three, as opposed to getting to a shootout mm -hmm. and giving more importance to a game that's decided in terms of tiebreakers at the end of the year, whether regulation, win or loss. So there's, those are significant changes that we've been challenged as coaches and players. But again, I think uh, part of the fun of the game is trying to figure out those changes and how to best take advantage of them. The Kings have had a tremendous record at three-on-three three since the implementation of that rule. Uh, how much of a priority is it for you in terms of practice and preparing for it, or do you just trust that the skill level will uh, balance out more on the Kings' side? Uh, I don't know if it's that much we practice and prepare for it, but we certainly talk about it. We try and figure out the key ingredients that are necessary to have success in doing it. I mean, we've been fortunate, and you know, are our best offensive players are our best defensive players, and you know, Drew Doughty, as good as he is with the puck and uh, dynamic as he is offensively he's one of the best defenders in the league. And a lot of that three-on-three -three play comes from getting the puck back, uh, having a good scheme to check and, and turn pucks over and go the other way. So, Or defending an odd man rest that gives you an opportunity to go the other way. So you know, our best offensive players, Drew Doughty, uh, Jeff Carter, Anze Kopitar, uh, Toffoli, Pearson, uh, they're our best offensive players, but clearly they're our best, our best defensive players. And, and that puts the puck in their hands more. Uh, and creates opportunities going the other way. So I, I think that's a huge reason we've been successful uh, because we are committed, get a key save at a key time, but we can turn uh, defense into offense in a hurry, and it's worked for us. Um, you've been here uh, for many years now. You've you've uh, 
precede uh, Daryl Sutter as head coach of the team. So you're intimately familiar with this lineup and, and this roster. How much influence will you have on personnel decisions moving forward, or has that not yet been decided? Uh, you know, we haven't spent a lot of time on that, but, you know, I, I'm here to coach the team, and I think the, the whole time I've been here, I've been here for seven years, I think there's been a lot of communication in terms of the makeup of our team, um, you know, what we think we need. Um, not only what do we need to make our players better, but is there something we can add or change in our team to make our team better? And ultimately, you know, we've got a very competent management staff that will go out uh, that see these players all the time and, and recognize one with a cap in mind, and two, with the fit in mind, who's the best player available to help our team. So, you know, I'll certainly have conversations with our management staff, with Rob and Luke, uh, about what our needs there. But, you know, they have a very competent staff that go out and get the best player to help us improve our hockey team. Let's talk about the city and the fan base. Obviously, you would have had an opportunity to play in L.A. as a member of the Flyers and, and as when, when you were a coach. Um, was there anything that surprised you about Kings fans when you first arrived here or, or that you've learned over the last seven years? Well, there's been a big transition. I've been here seven years. Mm -hmm. So when I got here, the Kings were a young up-and-coming team and hadn't had a lot of success uh, in the recent years. And even if they made the playoffs, they'd missed the playoffs for a number of years. So I think the, the fan base here, one, surprised me just how great it is. But I, I do remember coming here early on, and when we played the top teams, I was really surprised just how many jerseys of the visiting team was, was in the crowd. And the, Somebody warned me about Detroit, and I didn't believe it until I saw it. <laughs> yeah. but when, and Detroit had been such a good team for so long and won cups that when Detroit came to town, I actually thought we were in Detroit. And that's really changed because there's been consistency in winning here. You've won two championships here with... Uh, in 12 and 14 and you don't see that as much anymore you uh, the fan base here has always been terrific i think when the, we've been sold out every game i've been here it's just a, a wonderful fan base that supports our team and, and the staples become a great atmosphere for us to play in but you know and I, I think that's a credit you know to the king's organization they've been able to reward the fans here with not just making the playoff once and then missing for six or seven years uh made the playoffs gotten better won a championship uh, missed one year and went right back and won again. So I just think that commitment to winning uh, works both ways. It's great for the team and the atmosphere we get to play in, and it's great for the fans who have been so loyal here for so long. Last question, and I appreciate your time. The media in Philadelphia is known for being less than uh, friendly. Um, the hockey media in Los Angeles obviously significantly smaller than in more traditional hockey markets. Do you think that helps or hurts a franchise? Uh, I'm not sure it's... It, it, helps or hurts them. I just think it is what it is. I mean, it's completely different. Los Angeles, there's so many different interests out here, whether it be the college athletics, uh, weather, entertainment industry. Uh, there's just so much going on out here that uh, people have a vested interest in a lot of different things, uh, but still terrific. When you get away from the rink here, um, you can get absorbed in the community. Uh, in places like Philadelphia, it's sports all the time. So... I don't know that it, that it helps or hurts. I think they're, they're two very different environments, but they both have a lot of positives. Uh, I think in Philadelphia, um, there's just such a passion for sports there, and there's not some of the other interests that you have here that people really focus on that. But it's really the passion that you know, that swings that pendulum in terms of emotion with their fan base there. But uh, I, I enjoyed it in Philadelphia. I loved it there. Uh, but I've, I've clearly loved my time here in Los Angeles, but could not be uh, both not be more different. Well, obviously, we wish you the best of luck.
Coach Stevens, thanks for your time. All right, Jesse, thank you. That was my conversation with head coach John Stevens. Hope you enjoyed it, Kings fans. We will be bringing you more episodes like this in the future, so stay tuned. As I mentioned at the Open, there's still the expansion draft, the entry draft, and free agency coming up. Uh, The Kings also have to round out their coaching staff, name a replacement for Bob Miller. Plenty more Kings news set to break this summer. Plus, I will be attending the NHL Awards show in June, and will continue covering the NHL playoffs. Go Predators, Pens, or Sens. So as they say every week, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast at lakings.com slash podcast. Also, feel free to reach out to us with any comments, questions, or suggestions. Our email is kingsmenpodcast at gmail.com or across all social media platforms. You can find us at kingsmenpodcast. That's one word, kingsmenpodcast. Um, but please don't send me Snapchats of your food. Uh, I do not care about your food. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.